Welcome to the I'm Book Podcast. I'm April O'Leary, your host and the founder of O'Leary Publishing today. I am excited to have Anna David, founder of Legacy Launchpad Publishing on. We had such a great time talking about publishing, sobriety, and all kinds of fun, exciting topics. And it's like just two girls talking shop and having a lot of fun. And we invite you into this conversation and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hop on in. Welcome back to the I'm Book Podcast. I'm April O'Leary, and I am so thrilled today to have Anna David on. As you heard, she's amazing, has a ton of books, and right before I hit the record button, we were sharing so much similarity from our path into sobriety, to writing, to publishing, and so I'm certain that you are going to absolutely love this interview. Welcome, Anna. Glad to have you. I love it, April. I'm so happy to be here. So as I was reading Anna's bio and checking out all of her books, I noticed a lot of them had to do with sobriety. And of course, if you've been around here anytime, you know, last year we published a book called Sober Moms, Happy Moms. And I said, you know, I see some books on sobriety that you've written. Is that because you're also in sobriety? (laughs) And the crazy thing is I reached out to you having no idea that you were in sobriety. I just saw you were what you were doing with books. And then, and then when I was looking into it and I saw the sober moms, happy moms, I thought, oh, you know, I I didn't think, oh, April must be sober. I was just like, she publishes books about recovery. How great. So funny. (laughs) So there's a saying in the, in the recovery world that we both are in that is, is it odd or is it God? And so, you know, I don't believe that there are coincidences. I think there's a reason we're here on this podcast. And I think there's a reason that you, my friend, are listening to this podcast right now. So if you don't mind, let's talk a tiny bit about sobriety. I heard from Anna just before she's been sober 22 years, which I mean, looking at her, you would think she got sober when she was five years old. So there's no possible way that she got sober in 2000. But tell me a little bit about that moment of clarity for you and how you chose sobriety. Well, okay. So it will be 22 in November. Who knows when y'all are going to hear this, but um, you know, it's funny because people in recovery are very paranoid about saying like 22 or whatever the year before the actual date, God willing, I really am confident. I will stay sober 22 years so that this will still be true. But um, my sober date is November 19th of 2000. Um, I was 30 years old. Uh, I had, I was just a lost, lost kid. I was a very young 30. Um, I had trauma. I didn't know it. I had depression. I knew that. Um, I was also really fun. So it's not like it was all tragic, but it got increasingly tragic in my late twenties. And it got to the point where I was just like in my apartment doing cocaine alone, two cats, chugging vodka, smoking cigarettes, wanting to die. And I knew about AA and I knew about recovery and I knew about rehab and I wanted nothing to do with it, even though everything I knew about it was good. (laughs) But this was also the late nineties. So there was no sober influencer. There was no sober moms, happy moms books. There was none of this. There was, if you Googled, it was, this is where Charlie Sheen went to rehab. There was nothing else. And so- (laughs) 
And so I, I poked around and I tried things and I hated them. And then one morning that was no different than any other morning. I have no idea why I woke up. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And my big moment is I called my mom and I told her the truth. And the following Monday I was in outpatient rehab. That was May. I was one of these people who didn't quite believe that alcoholism and addiction were the same thing. I got that they were for you, but for me, I was like, no, 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 I can drink. It's different for me and not getting that. I just didn't want to give it up. And then, so then I tried November 18th of 2000, um, <clears throat> ended up taking four and a half hits of ecstasy after that glass of wine and came back the next day with the understanding that for me, alcoholism and addiction are synonymous. It's all the same thing. And it's really not about how much you drink or how many drugs you do. It's like this, this feeling, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. I'll do anything <laughs> to escape that. Oh my God. You're speaking the truth, sister. Can I yes. get yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's funny because you're right. I just posted on the Sober Moms Happy Moms this morning, a quote from the big book, which I love, which is when we enjoy it, we don't control it. And when we control it, we don't enjoy it. And for me, when I came in in March of 2016, which is six years ago, you know, I was like, am I in the right place? you know, I never got a DUI. I don't have any sort of like police record. I had three kids, like from the outside, everything. And look at you. I mean, you are the very picture of innocence. Let's (laughs) be honest. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Don't look in the closet with all the skeleton bones falling out. (laughs) But yeah. And I, I remember hearing that very early on and I thought, oh my God, I thought everybody kind of drank like that. Like I was so surprised sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, that people weren't blacking out every time they were drinking. I was like, I never was embarrassed about what I did really, because I figured, well, I didn't remember the nights and nobody else remembered it clearly. Totally. And then once I got sober and I realized like, no, pretty much everybody else did see what was going on and realize what was going on. I was like, wow. I, it was like my brain could not process that. And I have since learned, and I tell my girls this, I was like, alcoholism is an allergy of how your body processes alcohol. So if these certain things happen, like you're drinking and you black out, like that's probably because it's not metabolizing it right. Like I try to destigmatize it because I don't feel shame that like, like someone who's a peanut allergy should be ashamed that they can't eat peanuts. It's like, no heavens, please don't eat peanuts. You're going to die. Right. Right. It's um, it, it also blew my mind when I got sober, my very first job, I was working at a magazine called premier, which is now long gone. And I got this column called party girl. And my job was to go to premieres, go to the Oscars, go to the Emmys and interview celebrities and live this like party girl life. And I thought, I can't do this. You know, I was fresh out of rehab. And then I go and it was just blowing my mind. I mean, free alcohol. And I'm like, wait a minute. Not everybody goes to a party, rushes to the bar, does shots and looks for the, the Coke dealer. <laughs> that blew my mind. People just walk into parties. That's crazy to me. It's not anymore. But yeah. like, but that really... <laughs> that really made it easy. And so I thought I can't be around all these open bars and this is going to be so hard. And, and then I'd see like the glass of wine go by on the tray and I go, I want that. And then I'm like, no, I don't. I want that followed by a bottle followed by, then I'll call my dealer. Then I'll want to die. So I really learned how to think it through. Yeah. 
that's the key, thinking it through and knowing that if I've done it once, I've done it a hundred times and I'll do it a hundred more times. And how many more times do I need to prove to myself that I don't like to drink like a normal person. And for people that drink normally, what we're saying would sound absolutely crazy. Yeah. And that's what I had to understand too. Like, I'm like, wait a second. I remember actually I was, I've been in this house now for eight years and when I was newer in my neighborhood, I was like thinking, cause my husband got sober eight years before me, we got sober at the same chronological age. But so for eight years, I was like, who am I going to drink with? <laughs> Where can I find my, you know? So I remember walking across the street to a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon with a bottle of wine thinking like, we're going to hang out and drink. And like, I had a couple of glasses and I was ready to go for my third glass. And she was still like barely drinking her first. And I was like itching to like, are we going to have you know, right. keep going. And it was like disappointing, but also eye-opening. I was like, okay, this is not a good drinking partner. And how is this person on Saturday afternoon? Not just like yeah, wanting to have more. Like I, you know, and now I understand like, okay, that's not how most people live their world. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, so I'm glad to meet another sober sister. And I know I we're, it. we could go down the sober rabbit hole for probably an hour, but that would be for another podcast, another time. But I yes. will say for any of you who are questioning your drinking, or maybe you're already in sobriety, Google Anna David. She has a ton of sobriety books. Um, I've recently heard Quit Lit. I didn't know. I know. Well, Did allegedly, you know allegedly I, my book was the first one. That's what I've heard. But oh, what I'm means, talking to the Quit Lit girl. I didn't know that. No, but what it means is that I was just 10 years before any, before it became big. So you know, I wrote Party Girl when I first, you know, I was three years sober and I thought um, recovery is nothing like I expected it to be. And I mean, I think this is what it has to do with books and writing is like, I thought if I could change one person's life so that they could see that you don't have to want to kill yourself before getting sober, if you could see what the other side is like and how much fun it's, how much hilarity and how many, how alive it is then I'll have done something good. And that's when I, and I had this interesting story, which was that I had gotten my first job uh, in recovery was writing a book called Party Girl. So I kind of thought, well, what if I took that idea and I fictionalized it? And instead of it being a book about uh, a column about um, celebrities and Oscars and all that stuff, it's a, it's a column about like living a wild and crazy life. And it's a girl who gets sober and has to portray this life that she doesn't lead anymore. And so that was the concept for the book. And all these years later, so I got the HarperCollins, published it, came out in 2007. And then when I started my company five years ago, I worked on getting the rights back. I was able to republish it last year under my own imprint. And right now the, the movie has been in development this entire time. And it looks like it's actually gonna get made now. So that's great, yeah. Congratulations. Thank I'll be you. the first in line to see it. I'm so excited for you. That's amazing. And what an inspirational story for us women in sobriety to know that life doesn't turn into like, I'm going to have to just be boring and have nothing to do and no friends and no fun. Because I know when I was out there drinking, I kind of thought that was the only fun that I had. Totally. The only way I knew to have fun. And I can remember, I mean, this is like really a stupid admission, but when my kids were little, 
they were in a private school and a lot of the parents who also drank, they would have these children's birthday parties at very nice resorts and whatnot. And it was always like alcohol for the parents. But occasionally there would be a party that was actually kid appropriate and there was no alcohol. And you're like, well, that sucks. <laughs> Why would I want to go to that party? Right. Well, because maybe we're celebrating a three-year-old's birthday and we don't need to be like binging at their party. Like yeah. that was, you know, so to now be able to go and enjoy life on life's terms and show up for someone else because it's the right thing to do and you can celebrate their life and their experiences and their, um, you know, I don't know, weddings, baby right. showers, whatnot, without being the drunk person. Right. So good. So congratulations on that. And now talk, let's talk a little bit about traditional publishing and independent publishing because the, the mystery of publishing, and I was mentioning to you right before this that I had a meeting with a gal who's a podcast producer and um, she doesn't really know much about the publishing industry. And I was explaining to her that back when I published my first book and I self-published, I'm saying in quotes, in 2012, mm -hmm. because at that time I didn't understand anything about publishing. And I went to a large publishing, you know, traditional publisher workshop thinking that I was going to like hand this manuscript off and I was going to be the next best thing. And, you know, I was very grandiose and not sober at the time. So <laughs> the two go hand in hand. And I learned that it wasn't going to happen because I didn't have the platform yet. And so I self-published, but I didn't know about the independent publishing world and what that had to offer. And I don't think it was as robust as it is now, mm -hmm. as we were saying, there's a lot of people who serve this niche of authors who want their books to get out there in a very professional with a, you know, professional look and feel and experience, but they want to own the rights to their book. They want to do a lot of other things with it. So what was your experience with HarperCollins? And you don't have to give any names or anything. And, and what was it like? Um, to be able to try to get that book back. Well, I love to give names because I'm so bitter. I'm not really bitter <laughs> anymore. But but back okay. So back when I got in it, there was no Instagram, Facebook. When I sold Party Girl, Facebook didn't exist. It did exist by the time it came out. So there was no such thing really as a platform. What there was was what I had was I had been writing for magazines and I had a name as a magazine columnist and so. I was, I was very lucky in that, like I had agents coming to me and saying, Hey, if you ever want to write a book, I like your voice a lot. And so party girl, it was like this total Cinderella story. This amazing agent came to me, sold it within a week to my top choice publisher. And I was like, you know, we, I, I think, um, all writers, when you're working on a book, you vacillate, oh, your guest, I was just listening to this this morning, he said it, and it's so true, it, I can't remember his name now, but it's basically like, you vacillate between like, I'm a genius, writing something the world has been waiting for, and like, oh, I suck, I'm horrible, but so I feel like also when the universe, the universe gives us all lucky breaks, and if you're like me, and you're a slow learner, you don't get that it's a lucky break, you think, well, of course, of course, I'm selling this to my top choice publisher. This is what was always destined to happen to me. Not getting that, like the universe was giving me a bone. What happened is that that top choice publisher, Judith Regan, was fired in like the biggest scandal to ever hit publishing. A few months before my book came out, the entire division dissolved and all these plans just 
dissipated. I was already very embedded in the media and I was already on the Today Show and I was already doing all of these things. So it got a lot of media attention and a lot of Hollywood rights attention, but didn't sell. And I am a slow learner. So then HarperCollins gave me five more book deals. And every year I'd be like, okay, I get a new book deal. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. It's going to, and, and they don't tell you anything. And specifically what they don't tell you is that, and there was this recent, uh, you know, there's this been in the news, uh, these two publishers merging, and there's been a lot of uh, this big trial where all these things about publishing are coming out that are shocking the world and that are like, duh, of course, to me, they're like going in in case, like, they're like, wait, you're giving these book deals and you don't do any research. So you don't know what books are going to sell. And they're like, no. So, but the way publishing, traditional publishing works is they know they're going to have like a Glenn and Doyle and they're going to make so much money off of one big book every season that they're basically giving deals to people knowing that, that, that they're probably not going to earn out and that they're not going to put any marketing behind them. But I didn't know that. They don't tell you, oh, you know what? You're one of those authors that we're actually not putting anything behind because nobody wants to hear that. And so it was an incredibly frustrating experience by my sixth book. And, and that one was a New York Times bestseller that was with Simon and Schuster. I, I, I was like, oh, I hate writing. This is awful because it's demoralizing to feel like you're losing every time. Cause I'm sorry, this is such a long answer, but all traditional publishing ever does is like, it makes you feel like you're not doing enough. Like, okay, your book didn't, didn't sell, you know, you didn't have the crazy launch. And so, and so for me, um, I, you know, because I have that New York Times bestselling book, a lot of people have always come to me and asked me to write their books. I don't want to write anybody's book. One person was so insistent that I ended up hiring someone else. I said, I'll hire this girl. She's looking for writing work. And then I edited it. Then we published it. Then I saw him get, it was a recovery memoir, get spokesperson deals, get speaking gigs, get all over the media. And I was thought, oh my God, I did six books and didn't understand that a book is about building a business. He did one and he got it. And now we've done it. I actually don't know. I think we published about 40 books now because that was five years ago. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's funny because in publishing, right, it's like you don't necessarily get to peek behind the curtain and know all the secrets of what's going on. And so a lot of it's left to being a mystery or guessing game. And like when I paid money and drove, you know, hours away to go to this writer's workshop by this big publishing house that I thought was in alignment with the content, at least I did a little research. I knew that this publisher published in the genre that I had written. So it wasn't like I was going way outside. Um, but when I learned about how traditional publishing deals happened, because at that point, yes, Facebook was already out and Instagram was already out. And I was like, wait a second, but I want to publish this book because I want to help people and I want to use it to help grow my business. Yeah then it became like a, well, then how do I just do it? How do I get it done? And yeah, I mean, that first book, I can't say, you know, sit here and say it would be able received any awards or sold, you know, that I even recoup my money from doing it. I don't know, but I did open a lot of doors of opportunity with that book. Yeah. So with your party girl book, now that you have your own publishing business legacy launch pad, um, how did you go about getting those rights back? Because you said that was published in 2007. So I would think that by now they would be like, oh, that book's old, go ahead and take it. But one, one would think, and in a way, 
the reason it was so hard is that they cared so little. It was like the, the division, Regan Books had dissolved. It had been, and so my agent had to go to so many people and it was sort of like, they, and it was the pandemic that they could barely be bothered to respond. At a certain point, so my lawyer got involved, my agent got involved. Um, at a certain point, I just went, you know what? I'm just gonna republish this. If they come after me, they come after me. And then, then I got the letter saying, congratulations, your rights have reverted back to you. So it's not, it's not that it's so hard, it's that they care so little. Hmm. You know, and that's kind of sad and disheartening because in the independent publishing world, and I'm sure probably you're the same way with your authors, like we do whatever we can to help our authors position themselves to succeed and not, not that we can magically get them on the Today Show or get them any media spots or help them quickly build their platform to a million followers. But I think that by structuring the business side, like you said, understanding that you're really building a book business, a yeah. business is built on a book and that has other arms to it. And how can you leverage that and build a brand? Um, I think is really where my heart is for my authors is that we want them to feel like the book is opening doors for them. And not that they're emailing us and we could care less and we're never going to respond. And, you know, I mean, here's the thing. If you are publishing traditionally, you are at odds with your publisher. Your publisher is interested in having people buy HarperCollins books, not in buying your books. So even the fact that you can't put like a lead magnet or a QR code in your book, the, the truth of the matter is if someone's paying, you know, and I, I think our businesses are the same, someone comes in and pays and we're the experts and we do it for them, but they're paying. We are so invested in that payment paying off for them. We won't take clients that we don't think they can earn back 10 times the, the, their investment. And it's never going to be in book sales. I don't check my book sales. I tell, don't check them. It's just depressing. I would so much <laughs> rather have a hundred people who are going to hire me or follow me or do, you know, become a fan than 10,000 people who don't really care. Read my book. Agreed. You know, it's something interesting and maybe you've heard this. I don't know. I heard this recently from someone I know through LinkedIn. Um, and they kind of, like you said, you, you got this deal in such a short amount of time with your dream publisher. And I think that most of us are led to believe that traditional publishing is mostly out of reach for most, I'm saying quote, normal people. Well, this yeah. person, um, is had it through a stroke of luck, reached the right person, you know, at the right publishing company at the right time, who was able to pitch their book without a literary agent and they got a deal, but here was the deal, no money up front. So they, there wasn't any sort of like, we're so happy to have your, your idea. No. And they don't really have a platform, but they got they're they're paying for their book project. So they're not out fronting any money to get their book done. But they're expected to buy a certain amount of copies yeah. on the back end. Yeah. So essentially, they're kind of losing the rights to their book. Yeah. And they are paying. Yeah. Because they're paying for copies of their book, which of course then the publisher is making money because they, they have to buy the books at whatever 30% off retail, which yeah. is an important amount to be able to afford for an author. So it's kind of like pay now or pay later. Totally. I mean, and a lot of those places uh, they've, they've cracked down on, but 
it's, I mean, it's madness too, because it's, it's, you know, usually it's about two to three years if you're going to go traditional. Whereas, you know, we can usually, we can do it in, I mean, once we had to do a book in a month, I'm talking writing and publishing and we'll never oh my God, again. I, you beat me, you win. <laughs> we were brand new. It was a guy on the Real Housewives of New Jersey. He's like, I need my book, you know, and, and I didn't have the, the prop. The reason we can't keep doing that is we've got a whole slate of other clients that we're working yeah. with. But um, usually it's, you know, about six months. And that's wonderful because if the person knows in that six months while this book is being written, you know, be out there, be connecting with your audience, get your newsletter list going, make it post on LinkedIn, make it so that people are so hungry to get this book. It's going to make such a difference. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about guaranteeing a book success. And if you can do that, like how can you guarantee a book success? Or is it not really a you know, if someone's promising you that your book's going to be success, you should watch out. And that's a red flag. What do you feel about that? I think we get really clear about what the word success means. So for me, success is never book sales, but I look at it like, you know, it, we have, we have clients who, if they acquire a new customer, that's a like 15 to $50,000 value for them. So is success getting three clients? in a year is success, um, getting a speaking gig, you know? So, so I think it's really big picture stuff. And, and the way I look at it, I had six miserable book launches because those books with the Harper's, I just always felt like they were failures and even the New York times one. And, and I, and I always felt like I wasn't doing enough. Now I only have quote successful ones because I control it. I decide it doesn't mean I get everything I want, but I really also, and this has to do with recovery, it's like, oh, well, this is what's meant to be. You know, with Make Your Master Memoir, I tried, I have all these contacts in the media and granted, I'm like, haven't talked to some of them in a while. And I'm like months ahead of time, trying to work this and trying to work that and this old friend, and why aren't they writing me back? And then I land on Good Morning America the week the book is out. So it's like, the universe has such bigger plans for us if we get into acceptance, if we stop going, well, this isn't working and this isn't successful. It's like, okay, well, why don't you shut up and see what happens? And, and what I did with Good Morning America, that's a show I'd always wanted to get on for my traditional books and I never did. And I just, I was like, okay, there's a you know global pandemic. My book is about writing. This is not newsworthy, but what is newsworthy? Well, I use writing to heal. So what if you know, I look up statistics about how depression is at an all-time high with the pandemic and I write a press release that's all about um, writing, you know, is one way to deal with the depression that's, you know, brought on by the pandemic. And we got it on freaking Good Morning America. So, um, you know, and to me, so it's like, if you look at book sales and book sales are weird because we, we don't know, you can't go, I got on Good Morning America and that sold this many books, but I can kind of look at Amazon. It sold about five or six books, but it brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars in business because I had the legitimacy of a four minute segment on Good Morning America. So I think it's all about how you define success. I love that. And you know, the bigger picture, like you said, the bigger picture, if someone comes to me and this has happened so many times, we offer like publishing consultation or if someone wants an editorial consultation, we're very slow to engage with someone in a full contract because we wanna make sure that how they define success is similar to how we would. Right. And if someone says, well, I wanna be a New York Times bestseller, 
and they're unknown and they, you know, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. You know, it's redefining. It's probably not going to happen, but if you position the book in a way that will help you get those two or three new clients, what would that mean for your business or for your income? Then it makes the investment in doing a book worthwhile. And then when you see your royalty statements and you see that you didn't make $10,000 or 20, you know, then you're not disappointed because you understand the book is really a tool to, like you said, it can be a healing tool. It could be a tool of sharing your experience. It could be a tool. Like I got a message the other day about the Sober Moms, Happy Moms book. Someone sent me a private message and said, I just finished your, reading your book. Thank you so much. I'm six days sober. Oh yeah. I love that. And I was like, it was worth doing the book yeah. because the ripple effect by one person getting sober, imagine how much that changes the lives of all the people around them. So to me for that particular book, that's a success because for that book, we're not, I'm not looking to book speaking engagements or I'm not a sober consultant or, you know what I mean? Not right. selling anything for sobriety. I'm like, go to a 12 step meeting. It's free yeah. for your dollar, you know, yeah. like that's the extent of that. Um, but so yeah, defining success is really so important for any new author. Yeah. So for you, which is amazing. You were able to do a book in 30 days. Like our first book that when we launched the same thing, we had, you know, one or two books we were working on. And that was when I pivoted from writing my own books and doing my own life coaching to like, maybe this universe is showing me this path because I should be helping other people do that. Um, and we did a couple of books in 90 days. That was our, that's our record so far. But what was your moment of pivoting into publishing? It was unlike my moment of sobriety. This one has a very dramatic white light experience, which is I have a friend named Nicholas Cole. He is a genius. He's like, he's got a program called Ship 30 for 30. He writes, he's huge on Twitter. He's all over the place. He's a kid. I think he's 30. We became friends and I was telling him we were having a meal and I was telling him that I had all of these like coaching programs for writers and courses for writers and that people barely signed up and barely bought them. And then when they did, they would complain about how expensive they were. And at the same time, I had incredibly successful people coming to me and asking me to write their books, but, oh, I don't know how to do that. And he like, just goes, wait a minute, you are telling me you have broke people with a non-abundant mentality complaining. And then you have wealthy people with an abundant mentality asking you for things and you are trying to serve the former group. What are you doing? And I just kind of woke me up. Um, at that point, we had done two books because people had asked me, and I just said, "Okay, forget the, forget the serving the 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 people, the dreamers who think that they'll be New York Times bestselling authors. I want to serve the people who get that the book is the business tool. They don't care if they write it or someone else writes it. They get that it's theirs, and um, and, and they get that that like." no matter what the price is, if it's going to transform their lives, it's a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that a kid spoke into your life and showed you that, right? Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes we're so close to our own work. It's hard to zoom out and see what's actually there in front of us. And I found Absolutely. that, to be true. you know, for many years as a life coach, you know, I did everything I knew to do. I wrote the book. I did the courses. I did the conferences. 
I, you know, showed up in person, I showed up online and it was like, you know, did the summits with multiple speakers, you know, like we're going to grow the list to a million people. Like, and it always felt like an uphill battle. But I also look back and I say, oh, well, I needed to learn all those skills to be able to do what I'm doing now. Like there was a to building the skills and the time of like incubation where, you know, um, you can't do something. It's like, if you're not sober, you can't tell someone how to get sober. Right. Yeah. There's always a purpose. I wasted a lot more time than I wish I had on courses, but then I say, it's not too late. Nobody buys my, my courses are amazing and nobody buys them. And I think we have an inherent problem, which is that People want to have a book, but sometimes they don't want to do the work to have the book. They just kind of want to snap their fingers. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but you know, maybe I have this course called audience building for writers. It is like every secret. If people took that course, they could do what our, you know, a hundred thousand dollar clients do. And, and maybe it's not too late. Maybe I'll find a way next year to package it in such a way that those people actually buy it. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's it's a mystery. And then on the other hand, like you said, the universe can offer you sometimes those Hail Mary moments, like getting on the good, you know, Good Morning America, when you've been trying to grind it out for months and months and months. And why is this person not responding? Why is that? And then all of a sudden you get that moment. And so that's what I think is so interesting, even in the book publishing process, is always say like, you never know the journey your book is going to take. So when you wrote Party Girl, did you foresee it becoming a movie? Did you see, you know, like what kind of things have happened to your books that you had you, had someone said to you, okay, on a blank page, right? Everything you think could possibly happen, what doors could open with this book? Yeah. Like what thing would you have never written down that happened? Well, I, I told you I'm like pretty delusional and, and kind of have this attitude of like, and maybe we all have it in like our 20s and 30s where it's just like, well, of course. So yes, I thought it would be a huge movie that would probably star me, even though I'm not an actress. Do you know what I mean? Like I had the most <laughs> ideas. Um, but yeah, we should be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I... But there have been books. I, I definitely didn't think when I wrote Make Your Mess Your Memoir that I would end up on Good Morning America. Like I definitely didn't. And, but I will say what I learned from doing, you know, I did five books that if, I don't even recommend anyone reading them. If somebody writes me and tells me that they liked my second novel, but I think what's wrong with this person? Oh, that's so sad that they're so like not intelligent. Like that's how little I think of some of my books. If anyone listening takes anything from this besides you know, if you need to get sober, it's a wonderful life. It's, it's like, really think about how will this book move the needle in my business? Because otherwise it's not, if you want to help people, that's absolutely wonderful. And like you spoke very articulately about like what it was like to help someone, but there are easier ways to help people. You know, you can go volunteer. Don't just do a book to help people. Or Mm -hmm. if you are, open your mind to the fact that it could do all sorts of other things for you too. And there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with it. They're not mutually exclusive. You can help people and help yourself. That's true. And, you know, I will say um, success, depending on the stage of life you're in and 
where your mind is at, maybe where your money's at, you know, being in Naples, Florida, maybe I think this way because we have a lot of retirees, successful people had great careers and they've got money and they've got time and they don't want to spend all day necessarily on the golf course. They're not that interested in pickleball. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of people who are not saying it's bad, but we have had plenty of opportunity to help people who are in that position where they've learned a lot of things and it's the intellectual process of writing and the creativity and they don't go into it necessarily with uh, success being selling a ton of books or getting any consulting careers and they don't want a speaking tour but they enjoy the process and I think that's a worthy endeavor too for people who are intellectually um, advanced. Yeah yeah that's you know that's another goal that some people they just enjoy the process we have an author now who very much um had a successful career as an academic was published by stanford press at some point in his academic career and now really enjoys working with our editor and working with our designers and you know we love him to pieces if he's listening to this you know who i'm talking about wink wink but um you know that's it's not about good morning america for him I don't right. think you would want to fly to get out there. Maybe you would. <laughs> but so let's talk, you know, let's wrap it up by talking a little bit about your podcast because you're so fun to talk to and I'm sure you've got a lot to share over there. So your podcast is called Entrepreneur Publishing Academy. So when did you start that? Well, this is, and you're going to come on it. We know this. Um, so, you know, y'all got to go listen until you hear April on it. So, um, <laughs> And then stay listening. Um, it's okay. This is kind of hilarious. I started a podcast originally. I think it was 2015. It was a recovery podcast. It was called After Party Pod. Was the first uh, name, okay. and it was the first recovery podcast. So it was huge. Then I said, "I'm not interested. I've I love recovery. I'm tired of talking. That. I've said everything I have to say. I don't have a business around it. So I have transitioned it into a writing podcast." I never changed the RSS feed. So some people have stuck with me. They're like, whatever, I'm, I'm into her. I'll listen to her talk about whatever. But for the most part, the, the podcast is not nearly as successful as it was when it was a recovery podcast. It still does very, very well. It's like whatever in the top, you know, 1%. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like, which is it is for entrepreneurs who want to publish a book. It is about how a book can help build your business. And um, I have different people. I had Chris Voss, who's wonderful. I had Robert Green. Um, and um, and then sometimes I do solo episodes like you where I'll just break down some idea. I'm now doing a thing called How to Fix a Broken Book where Ooh. I have someone come on whose launch did not go as expected. And I go walk them through their Amazon page and how I would fix it. Um, Ooh, that's kind of a vulnerable position to be in to say, like, go through my, it's like going through my closet and telling me all my ugly clothes that I need to get rid of. I know. But then what I say to them is let's get my audience behind your launch. So that's what you're, so you, so you get by showing your vulnerability, you get people who want to support you so that when your book is relaunched, they will then go out and support you. I love it. That is great. You know, it's the thing that I'm finding more and more about authors and about publishers like you and I are, is that we're all just a community of people trying to help each other. Because the more we all succeed, it's like the tide rises all ships. Is that, right. I didn't say that right. 
a rising, rising tide. I don't know, but uh, something all shifts. Or something. <laughs> it's something to that effect. But you know, that's that's the thing is the more we can help one another succeed, the more we all succeed together. And I love that about the independent publishing industry as opposed to the traditional publishing industry, like you said, which is a little bit us versus them. Yeah. It's not much of a, we're a collaborative team. We all want to help each other. Um, not to poo-poo those of you who have gotten traditional deals or you have that in your mind that that is the gold standard, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Know what you're asking for, you know, work with the right people and manage your expectations accordingly. You know, it works out for a lot of people. There are benefits. As you mentioned, Glennon Doyle, for example, you know, I just saw her book yesterday in Barnes and Noble, her books in Costco. Like there are things that traditional publishers can absolutely do that independent publishers might not want to take the risk and do. At least I could speak for myself. I got a way to get your book in Barnes and Noble. It's, I have an episode about it. Um, and, you know, to be clear, the pu traditional publishers are getting Glennon Doyle's books there. They're not, get, they're not getting yours. I find it easier to get my own books I publish into, into stores than um, when I was traditionally published. Hmm. Well, make sure that you go over to Anna's podcast, Entrepreneur Publishing Academy. The link is in the show notes and check out that episode. Do you remember what that episode's called? How to get your book in bookstores. How to get your book in bookstores. We have a similar episode um, by uh, John Bodie, who's the CEO of ReaderLink. Have you uh -huh. heard of ReaderLink? No. He's a distribution company. Um, they do the distribution for everything outside of Barnes & Noble, Costco, Walmart, Target, oh. whatever. Um, and he kind of broke down how that all that works, which may be different than how you're doing it. So I'm interested. I'm going to go listen to your episode and hear your strategies for getting into Barnes and Noble, because you know what? The more people know about the books that we publish, it's our job to market our books. And there's no mistake about that. For those of you who are working with an independent publisher, like you said, grow your email list, grow your Instagram following, show up on podcasts, you know, get people excited on LinkedIn about what you're releasing. And then you get to benefit from the more people know about you. So do you have any final tips for authors, aspiring authors, people who are like, how did you do all of this? Where do I start? Yes. Have your elevator pitch be able to fill in the blanks to just go, my book is for blank so that they can blank. Get really clear. We actually have, you can just go to bookelevatorpitch.com. Like it's, you can download that template and see examples. But like, if you know who your book is for, and I'm talking about a how-to book, I'm obviously not talking about fiction or whatever, um, mm -hmm. who your book is for and what you want them to, the reader to do when they read it, you are going to have such an easier time writing it and such an easier time talking about it. So that's my number one. Do that today. I love it. And I will include that link in the show notes as well. Bookelevatorpitch.com. Being clear about who your book is for, how you're going to help someone and understanding the business behind your book, I think are two really great keys that you highlighted today. For more about you and how they can get connected with you, where should they go? Just go to legacylaunchpad.com 
slash Anna. Or if you go to bestbookelevatorpitch.com, uh, you'll be signed up for our list. You can unsubscribe at any time. I won't even know, um, but you'll get to know more about me and my company and my podcast that way. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today, for connecting all the way from LA to Naples. We both have palm trees, so there's a lot of similarities there too. <laughs> don't really experience winter, so that's great. <laughs> and um, we're both in sobriety. We're both publishers. So gosh, we're like hitting a, a thousand here. So thank you again for your time. Be sure to look up Anna David. Be sure to follow our podcast. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you so much, April. You're welcome. But hold on before we get started. If you haven't done this yet, I encourage you to stop what you're doing, stop this recording, and go over to O'LearyPublishing.com right now to pick up your free copy of The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing, where we help you learn how to craft your book, share your message, cultivate your community, and build your brand. So if you're a professional, if you're an aspiring speaker, if you're someone who has just had an idea and you're not quite sure how to get it out into a book format, we encourage you to download The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing right now at O'LearyPublishing.com. Go get it. I dare you. Thank you so much to Anna David for spending your time with me today on the I'm Booked podcast. For more about Anna and her company, Legacy Launchpad, you can get a hold of her at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That will be in the show notes and you can click on their button, I'm ready, or maybe you want a weekly bulletin to help you build your authority. They have a lot of things to offer and I encourage you to check her out and see if what they have to offer will fit your needs as an author. We look forward to serving you as well at O'Leary Publishing, and together we can make the world a better place. Get your voice, get your vision, get your words onto paper and out into the world by partnering with a publishing company that's right for you. We hope you do. Have an amazing day.